Hi, I'm gonna keep this short and sweet. KRCL is truly grateful for the outpouring of support over the past 40 plus years. Here's to another 40 plus with your continued support. Consider making a year-end tax-deductible donation today at krcl.org. Thanks. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, a show for, by, and about grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. A quick update from last night's show. Dave John from Ours, Our Unsheltered Relatives, wanted to add something that if you have a civic group or perhaps you, your friends, your family would like to sponsor one of the weekend dinners that he cooks for people living on the streets, please reach out. He has groups do that and it's a great opportunity to be of service in your community. Check the show notes for a link and that show would be the November 30th, 2021 show. I've got quite a few DIY creatives coming up as we celebrate the holiday season and shopping local with different art markets like Craft Lake City and Finch Lane pop-ups. Stacy Stanford of the Utah Health Policy Project will be here to talk about their latest conference and the open enrollment period going on now for the Affordable Care Act. Today is World AIDS Day, so we'll be talking with the Utah AIDS Foundation and community co-host Nick Burns checks in with Dr. Adam Spivak and activist Michael Sanders. As we get rolling, just some perspective on World AIDS Day. It's been 40 years since the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention officially reported the first cases of what later became known as AIDS. 700,000 lives lost in the U.S., 36 million worldwide from AIDS-related illnesses. And today, as President Biden noted earlier this morning, nearly 38 million people living with HIV, including 1.2 million in the states. Here in Utah, the Utah AIDS Foundation, through client-driven services, champions sexual health and overall well-being for those living with or at risk for HIV and other STIs. Here's some of their numbers. 5,426 free and low-cost HIV STI tests provided each year, 34,000 meals each year to people living with HIV through their food bank, and more than 2.6 million condoms distributed since 1985. Unrolled, they say, that equals 592 miles in length. Let's find out more about this nonprofit in our community, how you can get involved, and how you can help out this holiday season. To find out more, let's pass that microphone. Hi, everyone out there. Um, my name is Ellie Echeverio, and I um, just recently began working at the Utah AIDS Foundation. My title there is the Client Services Coordinator, and um, this is my first time working in the field of HIV, but it's been a wonderful um, and amazing learning experience. So, yeah. A Utah nonprofit that has been working on this for decades and now the next generation. Welcome, Ellie. Thank you. So let's talk about the services on this World AIDS Day that Utah AIDS Foundation provides in our community. Yeah, definitely. So the Utah AIDS Foundation is an amazing organization because we not only work with clients who are living with HIV and AIDS, we also have a kind of a twofold approach to prevention and education, but then also helping individuals who are living with HIV and giving them the support that they need, like you said, to live healthy and fulfilling lives. Um, so a lot of our different services there, ones that we offer um, our clients are case management and benefit specialists. And then um, things that I work on is we run a food pantry. Um, so we're able to provide um, lots of individuals with um, adequate food that they need. 
Um, and then we also, on the education side, we provide a test site that runs two days a week. Um, and we're able to test um, our community for HIV and then other STIs as well. Yes, you also provide lots of testing and outreach, just such a yes. great organization. And with the holidays mm-hmm. upon us, Ellie, I wanted to talk about two programs in particular. That's the Red Ribbon Tree and the Personal Care Stockings. And folks can volunteer and help put these together as well as donate items. So tell us about the Red Ribbon Tree first. Yes, yes. So this um, program has been around for a long time, and I'm delighted to be able to be in charge of running it this year. So the Red Ribbon Tree, um, essentially what it is, it's a virtual tree this year because of COVID. Um, We tried to do as less contact as possible, but you can go onto our website, um, and from there you can get directed to the Red Ribbon Tree, and you're able to adopt an, um, an individual who's living with HIV, who just needs some extra help and support during the holiday season to get gifts for themselves um, and for their family members. So you simply just sign up, um, you can adopt um, someone, and then you just purchase the gifts that they have um, decided for themselves is something that they need this holiday. Um, and then you just drop it off to the Utah AIDS Foundation, and we'll get it wrapped up and make sure that it gets delivered to these individuals and their family members. I think I saw a social media post by the Utah AIDS Foundation that said 99 folks, 13 families have already signed up um, and need folks to sponsor them. So folks, yes. let's get going on this, right, Ellie? Yes, that is the current number, and it keeps growing. Um, so yeah, we the tree is about 80% full, but we definitely need some more um, some more help and support there. So um, yeah, like I said, our website, utahaids.org, under support us, you can find um, the red ribbon tree. And then we also, um, along with the red ribbon tree, like you mentioned, the personal care stockings are another awesome aspect as well. So what is the personal care stocking? This sounds like something that I could do with my friends or my civic or church group and put together the needs for these stockings. What What's called for here? Yes, definitely. So we recommend um, getting kind of like larger oversized stockings and filling it with any kind of personal care or hygiene items. So razors, deodorant, toothbrush, toothpaste, anything you can think of. Um, just filling these stockings up. And like you said, it is a great activity to do with some friends. Um, and these items are, they're items that everyone needs and they tend to be, they add up. So honestly, if you can provide one stocking, it helps a ton. So yeah. What are the deadlines for both personal care stockings and the red ribbon tree? The deadline is December 15th. Um, that's a Wednesday. And so we're just asking everything to get in by that date and you can just deliver it to the, um, front door at the Utah AIDS Foundation. Someone will be there to accept um, your gifts and stockings. And we ask that you keep gifts unwrapped. If you're able to supply wrapping paper, that's wonderful. Um, We just want to make sure we got all the right gifts and get them all checked out with um, each individual. And no wrapping as well for the personal care stockings, the items that are in it, I would take. Correct. Correct. Yes. You're wonderful to throw it all into a big stocking if you can, but please don't individually wrap, wrap anything. So what is the website one more time where folks can check out these programs and also avail themselves of the services, the testing in particular, as we mentioned, it is World AIDS Day today. Yes, yes. It's called utahaids.org. And if you go to our support us tab underneath that, you will find um, the seasons givings tab. And that's where you can find all these wonderful programs. And then on that same website, um, you'll see right at the very front page, you'll see how you can get testing done, um, which is very important and crucial to all of our well-being and health. So, 
please access that. Well, Ellie, welcome to the Utah AIDS Foundation. And <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's been it's been wonderful so far. And thanks for all the work that you and the nonprofit does in our community. Have a great holiday season. Thanks. You as well. Have a good one. Thanks for having me. Ellie Echeverio of the Utah AIDS Foundation. Do check the show notes tonight for a link to the nonprofit and get involved. Get your friends and family together and see what you can put together for the red ribbon tree and the personal care stockings. Utah Health Policy Project's annual health care solutions for Utah's virtual conference is coming up December 9th and an opportune time to have it as we are in the middle of open enrollment for the Affordable Care Act. Here to talk to me about that, as well as recognizing disparities in pursuing health equity, the theme of this year's conference, we have Stacy Stanford. Let's pass the mic and find out more. Stacy, will you introduce yourself for us? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's so nice to be back. Uh, Stacy Stanford, I'm a health policy analyst at Utah Health Policy Project, and have been doing this uh, health advocacy work for over five years now. It's been a bit different, I'm guessing, over the course of COVID, trying to access lawmakers and press your points. And that makes this conference even more important, correct? Absolutely. So let's talk about this year's theme, recognizing disparities and pursuing health equity. What is it the general public is missing when it comes to health equity? That's the question we really want to answer, right? Our our first panel, the, the theme is, the, the title is, what do we mean when we say health equity? You know, we really kind of want to boil it down. Those words are used in a very positive way by some people, in a very negative way by some people. But there's meaning behind disparity, equity, what these things mean, how we can address them and how we can you know, work towards bettering Utah for all of us. And so we want to get down to some of those 101 basics. And you also want to address Utah's uninsured rate. As I mentioned, the uh, sign-up window is open right now, I think through, what, December 7th, I want to say? They extended it this year. We have all the way until January 15th. And so, you know, don't delay. Sign up as soon as possible. But we do have November 1st until January 15th. This is for the Affordable Care Act. Are we doing better at getting Utahns insured through the ACA? We really are. We had a a special enrollment period uh, last year for a few months and got, you know, tens of thousands of Utahns covered and saw people saving a ton of money on their premiums and their deductibles. So we're really trying to tell people, even if maybe you looked a year ago and, and it didn't seem like the right fit for you, look again, because there's new financial help available for a lot more people nowadays. One of the other topics you're going to cover at your conference on December 9th, it's virtual, folks. We'll give you the details to sign up in a minute, um, is a vaccine communications workshop. As I look over the last two years of this pandemic and how we've talked about it amongst ourselves, as well as what folks in authority are saying to us or about us, there seems to be some missed opportunities. Is this what you're going to get at? Absolutely. You know, I think we hear misunderstanding about unvaccinated folks from all sides, you know, and I think that the the people that are not vaccinated are not a monolith and they are still persuadable and we still can get people, you know, to get the shot if we communicate effectively and if we don't approach with judgment and scorn and, and if we, you know, ask questions and really try to get at what are some of the access barriers? What are some of the myths that have pervaded, um, you know, things like that. So we really want to talk about ways to effectively communicate 
to reach folks that, you know, still haven't gotten the shot, but we need so many more of us to be vaccinated so that we're protected. And then I'd also love to hear about your keynotes. What experts have you signed up to address your conference on December 9th? Yeah, we're really excited to have a pediatrician that was just recommended to us from so many different people. Um, You know, the chair of the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Utah works at Primary Children's Medical Hospital as well, uh, Dr. Giardino, um, just a phenomenal speaker that's going to talk about health equity and health disparities in children. You know, how do we make sure that our kids aren't falling behind in their health status, in their access to health care, things like that. Um, So really excited to hear from him. And then we also have a, a national perspective coming in from Emily Stewart, who's the executive director at Community Catalyst, that's a, a nationwide uh, consumer advocacy organization that really takes the needs of patients and people that use health insurance and advocates for them. And she's going to talk about some of the federal efforts, the Build Back Better plan, the infrastructure bill, what the heck is going on, what does it mean for us in Utah for healthcare. Well, Stacy, since I got you on the microphone, I want to ask you about dun dun dun, January 2022 and the next session of the Utah Legislature. I'm guessing Utah Health Policy Project is gearing up. We are absolutely. You know, we've been doing some really exciting work during the interim. That I don't know if anybody's really talked about this publicly yet, but you know, we're working on a, a maternal health bill that is you know fairly comprehensive to try to fill some of the gaps in the pregnancy period, the postpartum period for Utah moms and trying to address some of those, uh, you know, gaps in the healthcare system. And so really excited about that work, still working on covering children, still looking at affordability barriers and protecting Medicaid, you know, so much going on. So keep an eye. We always post a bill tracker and ways that you can get involved. So we'll definitely want to hear from you, especially, you know, parents out there and pregnant, you know, people who have been pregnant. So, yeah. And that's an interesting topic on today, opening arguments before the Supreme Court of the United States on a case challenging Roe v. Wade. Stacy. great timing. Good view. <laughs> <laughs> And I just want to kind of take a tangent here and talk about maternal care, because I think that is something that gets lost every time in the debates and uh, rhetoric when we talk Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. One thing I haven't heard, if Roe v. Wade does go away, I'm not predicting that by any stretch of the imagination, what are we prepared to do for maternal care that we so clearly have not been willing to do prior to now, Stacey? Yeah, you know, I think regardless of where abortion exists and how available it is, regardless, we need to take care of people when they become pregnant all the way through delivery, through the postpartum period. You know, the existence and availability of abortion does change some of that conversation, but really, regardless, we just need to take better care of our new parents and our moms and people that are really struggling, especially in Utah with just an overwhelming maternal mental health crisis. And almost every pregnancy related death is preventable. One of the statistics I found in my research on this that just floored me is 92% of Utah pregnancy related deaths were preventable. So there are things we can do. And I think that when we focus on abortion, 
don't get me wrong, that's an important conversation for people to have, but that's a really narrow focus when reproductive health, women's health, human's health goes so much farther than that. So we want to look at, you know, pregnancy and postpartum and really get the big picture. Well, I'd love to have you back, maybe do a little panel discussion on all of that. Not little, it'll be big. So let's do that in the coming (laughs) weeks. All right. Absolutely. would love that. So Stacey, what is the website where folks can catch up with Utah Health Policy Project? And in particular, this virtual conference coming up December 9th from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Yes. When you go to our homepage, the first thing you see is open enrollment if you need help with health insurance. The second thing you see is how to register for the conference. So the same webpage will get you both, healthpolicyproject.org. So healthpolicyproject.org, and you can get info on help with enrollment and our conference, which is free, by the way. You know, we really want folks to come. There's a there's a ticket option when you check out. You can choose the $25 option or the $0 option. No questions asked, whichever one you can afford. So please join us. Thank you, Stacy. Good to see you. You too. Stacy Stanford of the Utah Health Policy Project. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the nonprofit and get involved. I'm Laura Jones, and you're listening to Radioactive. Coming up, Nick Burns with a World AIDS Day panel discussion. Right now, though, I'd like to shine a light on some DIY creatives who will take part in Craft Lake City's holiday market at the Monarch in Ogden this weekend. Let's pass the microphone and meet some of the artisans who will be on hand. So I am Julie Lindsay. Um, I own Z's Hot Sauce. My husband and I create and um, make everything. We hand label everything. Uh, we do most of the designs. The Triple X, we did have a local artist, and he is the one who did that one for us. Um, we just love making hot sauce. We love doing events. Uh, we've done the this event before, and we really enjoyed it, so we wanted to do it again this year. Wonderful. All right. Hey, Joelle from The Basil Project, tell us about your project. Thank you. Yeah. So The Basil Project is all about like natural dyes. So we hand make all of our items and then hand dye them using like flowers or plants or food waste. So it's really fun just to kind of see like what colors nature can create. So you both work with things that are coming out of the garden for sure. Um, Do you source out of your own garden, Joelle, or do you work with local farmers, growers, maybe get your stuff at the farmer's market? That's actually a lot of what I do. So I try to grow as much as I can, but I have a small garden. So I'll go to the farmer's market and then I've actually worked with a few restaurants that will kind of save some of their food waste for me too, which is nice. Because we spoke with uh, K&K's Bodacious Beer Biscuits the other day, and they use the spent beer grain to make their doggy biscuits. So I love kind of, you know, staying in that groove there. You also give back 15% to local charities. Why was that important uh, in terms of starting your small business, Joelle? Yeah, um, I think that's kind of, I. my partner does a small business and he's kind of moved more to a nonprofit. So that's kind of what inspired it. But I just, I love the fact that, you know, anything that I get, I want to always give back. Right. So we just kind of rotate it each month to different, we try to keep it local and it's just, yeah, a really important part. And sometimes we'll even do, you know, at different markets, maybe 30% or 50%, just kind of whatever seems right. So describe one of the items that I might be able to pick up at the holiday market from the basil project, Joelle. 
For sure. So I think my favorite item right now is um, our market bags. So they're just like reusable grocery bags that you can take to the grocery store and put all of your produce or any fun things. I hear they're good for like beaches too, because you can shake it and get all the sand out. So just really a good bag for anything that you can reuse and keep in your car and not have to use plastic. And Julie at Z's Hot Sauce and Marinade, how do you work with local farmers and beekeepers? I was reading on Utah Zone that you do that in the making of your hot sauce and marinades. So we get as much as we can locally. Um, we do use a eco farmer, Kevin Nash. Uh, so we get as much as we can from him when he can. And then um, so we get some honey from up in Logan. And then we also get blackberries from Weeks Berries up in Paradise. So, yeah, we try and try and get as much as we can locally. I love that you're these small artisan businesses and you're working with other folks that are local, too. And that's a, a real bonus about this holiday market. It's all local artisans. So I've seen you at the farmer's market. Don't know. You might be at the winter farmer's market on Saturdays down at the Gateway, too, Julie. Um, so tell me um, the, the level of spice that I can get from your products. So we have um, ranging from our mildest product is our black label, and that is fermented garlic. Takes us about four weeks to ferment the garlic. Um, we don't really even consider that much of a hot sauce, but it's really popular. All the way up to our triple X, which is scorpion, reaper, and ghost pepper. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a little painful making that one. Um, we did make sure it does taste really good. We use actual peppers. We do not use extracts. Um, so our sauces don't have chemicals. We don't add anything weird. It's all food. That's fantastic. All right. I need to know a little bit more about this fermented garlic. How would I use that in my own cooking? So we use it a lot for um, sauteing vegetables. You can use it for soup bases. I have someone who tells me they eat tortilla chips with it. I haven't tried that. Um, eggs cooking meats, any of it. I mean, just once you taste it, you can definitely figure out different things because it's it's unique for sure. So look for Z's Hot Sauce and Marinade with Julie Lindsay and the Basil Project's Joelle Weimer at the Holiday Market, Craft Lake City, December 4th and 5th at the Monarch in Ogden. But I want folks to know where they can find you online too. So Julie, what's the website or social media handle for Z's Hot Sauce and Marinade? So we have a, um, we have an Etsy and that is, you can just look up Z's hot sauce. We have an Instagram at Z's hot sauce. Uh, we have a Facebook. Facebook's a little touchy. Sometimes I can answer. Sometimes it won't let me. Um, <laughs> I yeah, know, right? it it's crazy. <laughs> it does what it wants to. So typically if you want to message us, uh, Instagram is great. We do get back to you. If you can't figure out how to use Etsy, um, just message us and then we'll just have you Venmo, whatever we can do to figure that out for you. All right. And Joelle, The Basil Project? Yeah, we, we love Instagram. So it's just The Basil Project. And then we have a site called thebasilprojectslc.com. So. Wonderful, folks. Look for these locally owned businesses at the Holiday Market at the Monarch in Ogden. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, thank you. Really appreciate it. That is one group of DIY creatives, and now we're going to turn to another sponsored by the Salt Lake City Arts Council, which instead of one craft market, will be doing several Finch Lane pop-ups this holiday season featuring Utah artists. To find out more, let's pass that microphone. Claire, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody? Hi, I'm Claire Taylor. I'm the Visual Arts Coordinator for the Salt Lake City Arts Council. A lot of my job involves coordinating the Finch Lane Gallery. 
And that gallery has been around forever, it feels like. And I'm used to your holiday market. It usually starts this coming weekend and then just is going, going, going. But with COVID, last year didn't happen. And this year you've made some other adjustments to make it happen. Yeah, and we're doing a different model this year. So in the past, our craft market used to be a ton of artists all at once um, throughout the galleries. And the artists were not there with their work. We just had one central checkout station. This time, we're kind of highlighting individual artists um, and sort of seeing them as individual entrepreneurs and individual businesses, in part because artists and other creators were hit so hard during the pandemic. So I'm kind of hoping by highlighting individual artists, it'll bolster them in other ways beyond just the individual pop-up shops. Because often, you know, when the artist is there in person, interacting with patrons, um, a lot of networking is happening and, you know, it can lead to other stuff down the road. That's my hope anyways. Okay, we're going to get into the pop-ups and, and let folks know who will be coming up in the com- in the weekends ahead. But this is also in coordination with the statewide annual exhibition uh, in partnership with the Utah Division of Arts and Museums. And the building where that used to happen, the old Rio Grande Depot, has been shut down because of the earthquake that happened in 2020. So tell, can you tell me a little bit more about that partnership? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, since we weren't going to do the craft market and in part, you know, we used to do the craft market back when there weren't many craft markets around town. Now they're everywhere. And so we sort of feel like, okay, what else can we incubate? Um, And we knew that uh, the Utah Division of Arts and Museums needed a space to exhibit the statewide annual. We thought they'd be a great group to collaborate and exhibit that in the gallery and tying it in with the pop-up shops, in part because the statewide annual this year is in the media of craft photography, video, and digital, and a lot of pop-up shops kind of uh, tie in craft with uh, fine art. Um, And so I thought that that would be a nice complement with this new program of pop-up shops to have those two happening concurrently. So folks can check out the rest of the gallery while they're there at Finch Lane, which remind folks where that is. Finch Lane. Um, the address is 54 Finch Lane in Salt Lake City. Um, but to get a little bit more specific to orient people, um, we're near the University of Utah. We're next to Reservoir Park. Uh, we're right in between South Temple and 100 South and 1300 East and University Street. All right. So who do you have coming up this weekend for your first pop-up at the Finch Lane Gallery? So our first pop-up will be Saturday, December 4th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And that will be Serinda Jones. And she's doing kiln-formed functional glass objects. It'll include jewelry and home decor and ornaments. And then you have a smattering, 12 in total. Can you give us the rundown? Yeah, definitely. So they're going to run December 4th through December 21st, and it will be Tuesdays through Saturdays. The Saturdays, it'll be 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and then any of the weekdays, it's eight. I mean, 4 to 8 p.m., just hoping those hours are accessible to people. So like I said, we're starting with Sorinda Jones. Then on Tuesday, December 7th, we've got Zubeda Boutique, um, which is handmade gold and silver jewelry, um, really beautiful stuff. Um, then on Wednesday, December 8th, from 4 to 8 p.m., we've got Carol Nielsen, Um, And she'll be doing paintings um, that include embroidery. She kind of calls them tactile impressionistic. And I sort of felt like that, you know, bridges fine art with craft, um, as well as some digital paintings. 
Um, and then on December 9th, we have Vincent Matina, who has these really interesting assemblage lamps and also custom guitars. Oh, stop the presses right there for KRCL yeah. folks, right? Yeah, they're going to be way cool. Um, and then some digital art prints. Um, then December 10th, we have Molly Powers Designs, and she does some traditional reef relief prints. And then she'll also have some 2022 calendars that are pretty cool. Then for the kids on December 11th, we have bunnies and bears. And these are hand-knit bunnies and bears, and each comes with its own outfit, name, and personality. Um, then on the following week, December 14th, um, we're going in with Cyano Weave, um, which is worked by Sarah May. Um, and she does weavings um, that are uh, inspired by her indigenous roots um, from her El Salvador heritage, as well as cyanotypes. Cyanotype is a particular like form of photography. And so it definitely ties go. in again to the statewide annual exhibit. And she also, Sarah May, has a piece in the statewide annual in addition to having a pop-up shop. Excellent. So that's a nice tie-in. So a handful and more to go on Wednesday, December 15th. Tell us about the artist featured from 4 to 8, to 8 p.m. at Finch Lane Pop-Up. We have uh, this artist goes by A Wall Art for their pop-up shop name. And that'll be hand-thrown porcelain and obsidian functional kitchenware uh, that features themes of nature. Some of them are smooth on the edges. Some of them actually have like some like uh, relief forms on the side of her pottery. And she'll also have these cool salt and pepper shakers. Um, I think that'll be sweet. And then on the 16th, we have TW Studio Shop. She's actually an artist that was in our big craft markets. Uh, she's pretty popular. She does these really beautiful lino cut and wood print, uh, wood cut hand printed uh, cards and uh, ornaments, really intricate, beautiful relief prints. And then someone I'm really excited about December 17th is Soft Talk and she does contemporary home goods. So that'll include tufted wool rugs, chairs, tables and jasmineite bowls. Um, hers is going to be really cool because most of the artists were providing a table. She wants to provide her own furniture and everything will be for sale. Um, so definitely check out hers. Then on Saturday, December 18th, we have Jane Phillips. Um, she's coming all the way from Southern Utah. Um, she makes uh, wood-fired ceramic homewares that include these really beautiful planters and bowls and mugs and teaware um, and candle holders. Hers is going to be really beautiful. And then our last pop-up shop is on Tuesday, December 21st. Um, that pop-up shop is called Etching Trails. And this woman uh, makes upcycled hats and bags. So they're like baseball caps and hats, uh, baseball caps and bags that is, have been made from commercial fabric scraps. So this is the lineup, folks, for Finch Lane's pop-up craft markets in conjunction with the statewide annual exhibition uh, from the Utah Division from the Utah Division of Arts and Museums. Lots of cool stuff, and we have been talking this week about uh, buying local, especially during the holiday season. And like you said, Claire, the the artists in our community hit hard by COVID too, and could could use the sales. Definitely. And I mean, this is kind of awesome because you can go there and sort of have an intimate conversation with the artists and learn about the process that went into creating these pieces and also the concepts as well. And the artists will be there on all of these. What's the link where folks can check it out and plan their visit to Finch Lane? So our website is salikarts.org. So if you go to that homepage, at the top menu, go to Programs, Finch Lane Gallery, Pop-Up Shops. 
Claire, thanks for all this great information, and I hope the artists have a great holiday season. But uh, I'd like to ask my guests to add to our playlist for the night. What have you been listening to lately? And tell us why you like it. I've been loving the song What Makes You Think You're the One by Fleetwood Mac. I love that whole album, Tusk. The whole album, Tusk, is wonderful. Um, and it ties into, you know, a late friend of mine. You know, it's a song we used to listen together. And I sort of think of him when I listen to that song. So I want to dedicate it to Morgan. All right. Sending that out to Morgan from Claire. It's uh, Fleetwood Mac. What's the song again? What makes you think you're the one? On KRCL 90.9. Hey, Salt Lake County Parks and Rec needs lifeguards, and you can try it out December 11th during the county's Just Try It lifeguarding event, open to folks ages 14 and up. Get all the details at bit.ly slash slcoguard. Support for KRCL comes from Live Nation, announcing Foo Fighters, coming to USANA Amphitheater on August 8th, 2022. Tickets go on sale Friday, December 3rd. Details at ticketmaster.com. You're listening to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Today is World AIDS Day, and we wanted to check in with folks in our community to hear what's going on. So we're going to pass the microphone to community co-host Nick Burns for a panel discussion. In this conversation, he speaks with Dr. Adam Spivak from the University of Utah's Division of Infectious Diseases. Spivak cares for HIV patients as a member of the Clinic 1A staff and attends on the Inpatient Infectious Diseases Consult Service at the University of Utah. Nick's other guest, activist Michael Sanders, who shares his work reducing the stigma around HIV. Take it away, Nick. Dr. Adam Spivak, welcome to Radioactive. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here. And I know you've been on the show before. I know that we are now talking about 40 years of the anniversary of the Centers for Disease Control, the first reports of the occurrence of AIDS and HIV, HIV AIDS. It's 40 years later. December 1st is World AIDS Day. You work at what has, um, I don't think too ominous of a name, but Clinic 1A. Um, Tell me about your work up at the university. Sure. Yeah, no, it's a privilege to, to be one of the, the care providers at our infectious diseases clinic at University of Utah. And I work with a fantastic team that takes care of people living with HIV, as well as uh, folks that are interested in preventing HIV. And so we actually have fantastic drugs that prevent the spread of the disease. So 40 years on, you're saying something that is kind of a miracle, and that's living with HIV AIDS, because I'm old enough to remember this was a death sentence, basically, and it was a horrible, horrible way to die. Um, There's been movies and whatnot documenting the horrors that people went through. But tell me about this distinction between living with HIV AIDS and what we can now do in terms of I, I don't know if vaccine is the right word, but that is the word of the year or preventing <laughs> HIV. Indeed. Yeah. Um, no, that's a, a great point. And we've made some incredible strides with regard to management and prevention of HIV infection. And just um, obviously we are in the midst of a different viral pandemic caused by a coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, um, and anticipating more information about a new wave, unfortunately, a, a potential new variant. And there's, there's some interesting similarities, of course, between these viruses. Um, 
getting to your question, uh, what's really fascinating about HIV, we do not have a vaccine, even after four decades of of looking uh, and trying very hard. And that's not to say um, one isn't coming and perhaps the same platforms that have worked so well and so fast for COVID may offer us a new opportunity for HIV, but it's been a trickier virus in that respect. That said, there's been phenomenal advances in terms of management and now prevention. And, and these, um, what I'm referring to are really antiretroviral drugs. So medicines that people take that are currently pills, daily pills, um, that if people are living with HIV infection will suppress the virus in their bodies, essentially to the point where it is almost gone. No one is cured from these drugs, but they will live uh, long, healthy lives. And so people living with HIV have essentially a chronic disease, not different than having high blood pressure or high cholesterol or diabetes or heart disease, diseases we don't cure, but that we have great management strategies for. And if people take care of that chronic disease, they live long, healthy lives. So here we are on December 1st, World AIDS Day. You mentioned undetectable. Is that the same as untransmissible? Yes, indeed. That's great. And, wow. and of course, that's a, a bit of a mouthful and we like acronyms in medicine. <laughs> and so uh, we have shortened that one to U equals U. And actually, if you Google that term, U equals U, the letter U equals U, um, there's a, a terrific uh, set of information that'll come up uh, um, about this idea, which is that if, if people living with HIV take these meds, these combination antiretroviral therapy drugs, and it's basically these days we have many options that are combined pills. It's a single pill, one pill once a day with multiple medicines in that pill. Um, people are doing fantastically well on these. The amount of virus in their blood actually falls to a level that the lab cannot detect it. And that's the, the medical jargon. Um, we send blood to the lab and say, can you detect HIV? And they say, no, it's undetectable. Um, what we know now is that folks living with HIV with an undetectable HIV viral load in their blood cannot pass on the disease to others. So the big picture when I teach medical students, I say, what do we do as physicians? What do we do as caregivers? You know, we prolong life. We aim, we aim for a couple of big, big, uh, big goals. We prolong life, we try to prevent suffering. And lastly, we prevent the spread of disease. You know, those are really our big picture goals for any, any disease we wanna, any patient we wanna care for, any disease we're treating. And amazingly, uh, antiretroviral therapy accomplishes all three of these goals. So it's not a cure, but it functions effectively like a cure. Like you say, taking medicine for high blood pressure, you don't have high blood pressure anymore, but you still have the condition in effect. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, the, the difference, of course, that may seem obvious, but it's worth pointing out is that, is that there's stigma. Uh, there's stigma that surrounds HIV. And of course, that's its own lengthy discussion about where that came from and why it persists. But one of the really important things to understand about this idea that people on these drugs that are doing so well cannot transmit the disease is it addresses that stigma. There's nothing wrong with these people. There's nothing that they can transmit. They're not dirty. They, you know, uh, they can have full healthy lives. They can have children. Um, they're not passing the disease on to, to loved ones. Um, and it really, it, it's a, uh, the idea of U equals U of talking about this is really a way to address the stigma around HIV that's persisted. I mean, we certainly saw that stigma when we saw childhood homes burned down 
uh, when the kids uh, had hemophilia and were bleeding and got HIV AIDS through blood transfusions. You said something intriguing that pregnant moms who are HIV positive, their babies are no longer infected. I mean, this is this is huge, but two things I want to get into. One is the stigma on treatment and how does that impact folks? But also Utah has not been doing so great of late the last few years on HIV infections. And with all that's been going on with coronavirus, people not going to the doctor, I want to ask about that first before we get into stigma. I mean, these two viruses sure. are different. The, the treatments and the vaccines are different. But how do you think the general pandemic we are all continuing to live through is impacting people either preventing HIV AIDS or getting that treatment or drugs or either treatment once they're positive? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. It's a complex question, but I'll, I'll say that the... Um, the realization I've had in my years of, of caring for people living with HIV, my work um, trying to prevent the spread of HIV um, is, is, is not different than some of the realizations I've come to with coronavirus. And that is that we have a pervasive system uh, in our society and perhaps it's inherent in human beings. I'm not a sociologist. I don't understand this fully to create a story about us and them to create a, a, a sort of a dividing line. And HIV is a, a very um, unfortunate and, and tragic example of how effective we are as, as a society of creating this divide. And I can remember it as a child growing up in the 80s uh, and as uh, in my medical training in the 90s uh, and persisting today that there's this disease of other that these other people get this disease, that they must have de deserved it or brought it on themselves or something along those lines. And I'll tell you, you know, years and years of medical training and taking care of people, and that myth falls apart very quickly and in and, and, and complete fashion, which is to say that there is no them. Uh, there's just us. There's just us. And, and the, the more I, you know, we can't help but just be inundated by social media and by the news and, and just the pace of life with the internet these days to be absolutely bombarded with stories telling us about these other people, that someone from another country who looks different than us, behaves different than us, identifies different than us, who um, is different in some way that's dangerous to us and we should be afraid. And I, it just, these are such pervasive stories and they're so damaging. Um, and yet, so when you really can see them for what they are, um, uh, it's not true at any level. And I, I think we can you know, name any number of examples around COVID that are the same. But gosh, HIV is just such a classic example of this othering, uh, which Blame is the victim. So, so, and, so damaging. Yeah. And it's invisible, right? It's not like somebody has a broken leg and they're all wrapped in a great big thing of plaster or plastic or whatever. Michael Sanders, I want to bring you into the show here. You are a longtime activist working with folks with HIV AIDS. Take me through what you've seen in terms of changes of the stigmatization of people with HIV AIDS. Well, um, so I'm 59 years old and I've been uh, living with living within this pandemic um, since I was a teenager, when I first um, heard about this unknown, unnamed thing um, that was uh, affecting gay men 
um, in our community. Um, I grew up on the East Coast, uh, grew up in Philadelphia, lived in New York City most of my adult life. And uh, I remember reading that article in the New York Times about this uh, strange unknown cancer that was affecting gay men. And that was the first, um, my first contact with um, understanding or trying to understand what this virus was. And over the years, as science um, has um, developed and we have, um, we have been able to um, first uh, treat the virus and then uh, treat the virus so well that the vi when we treat the virus um, in a person that has HIV or AIDS and the viral load becomes undetectable, they cannot spread the virus. Um, so that's a big, big change um, in HIV over the past, uh, you know, since the early yeah. 80s until now. Um, the other enormous change um, is PrEP, which is a, uh, is, uh, it's a pill you can take every day if you are sexually active that will prevent you from uh, seroconverting to, uh, to HIV positive if you come into contact with the virus. And uh, I remember back in the, in the early 80s, you know, we all were talking about, I wish there was a pill. Like, I wish there, we could take this. Can't there be a pill or, a, or some sort of a vaccine? Or, and now there is. And I've been working very hard over the past seven or eight years, particularly here in Utah, getting the word out, um, creating programs to help um, help people have access to PrEP and also help people um, to understand um, how the stigma of HIV prevents people not only from uh, getting onto PrEP, but getting treatment for HIV if they happen to be HIV positive. Um, and that stigma, uh, although the big changes that have happened uh, over, over the years is still there. There is still a stigma about HIV. Um, to me, there's no stigma attached to it because, again, as Dr. Spivak was saying, there is no us, there is no them. There, there is no them, there is no they. There is us, and we are equal, um, yeah. HIV positive or negative. And that's, and that's the message that I've been trying to get out to try to combat the stigma of HIV, that there is no them. There's yeah, not. the stigma certainly runs deep, though. I mean, we've had folks on Radioactive in the past uh, who have been HIV positive, and you go to shake their hand, and they seem amazed that someone would be willing to shake their hand um, because of all that society has sort of dumped on people. I wonder, Dr. Spivak, how does this impact your ability and the work you do at your clinic when there is this ongoing stigma, when as you both are clearly saying, there is no us and them. It's all just a we. What gets in the way? Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's a great question. I wish I had an easy answer to it. Uh, I'll tell you that, um, you know, it's hard work to dismantle these stigmas, to address them. And uh, you could not have chosen a more appropriate uh, guest in Michael Sanders. And just to, to point out, and he's going to potentially be humble, but I'm going to speak on his behalf that what the work that Michael does in the community, which is largely around sex education um, and access to prep is the heavy lift and is yeah. what we exactly what we need. Um, and we need more of it and we need more support for him and we need more support for other folks that are going to go out to other communities 
and address this and address these sort of common misperceptions that surround this disease based on its uh, origins in a, frankly, in a different time and place. I mean, I, I'm also of an age that I remember HIV um, in its early days and, and, and reading about it in the newspaper and just that every article you read, every photo was saturated in fear. Um, and what do we do with this fear of unknown? And we create, uh, we create the other, we create someone else that's a, a scapegoat. And, and I think, again, that may be um, somewhat innate in who we are as humans, but we can do better than that. Um, we can rise above that. I hope. But it takes work. It really does. And, and it's, I, you know, for me to sit in a clinic up here, well-stocked and wonderful, brightly lit new clinic and say, well, I got, I've got some pills that work <laughs> great. And, you know, that's what I do, you know, but that's not nearly enough. That's uh, not nearly enough because so, we, we need the education piece and we need to change the way we all think about these, these illnesses. So, Michael, you, you mentioned you're 50-something years old. You've been around. You've seen this. Uh, over the years, and here we are on December 1st, World AIDS Day. When you do this work you do, and we want to give a shout out to HIVandMe.com, you're in uh, one of the testimonial videos there. Do you find a change over time? Are younger folks perhaps more open or less stigmatized when it comes to taking PrEP or treatment? Are older folks the harder or more difficult ones? Or what do you see in your actual work out there on the street, so to speak? Well, um, so there are a, you know, a couple of couple of uh, factors um, that uh, uh, prevent people from accessing um, both PrEP and accessing TASP. And when I say TASP, it's treatment as prevention. And as I was saying, if you treat HIV to the point where the viral load becomes undetectable, um, someone cannot pass that virus along. So they are um, unable to, to pass the virus along to anyone with any sort of um, sexual contact. Um, and uh, as far as PrEP, um, as we educate um, people, particularly um, younger people, um, about PrEP, and there's been um, a great response um, amongst the, particularly in the gay men's community where I do most of my work, um, to get on PrEP to prevent, to be proactive and prevent HIV. The problem is that there are barriers um, to access um, for PrEP. Um, and there, there are programs that have been started um, that uh, allow access to people that are uninsured um, to access PrEP. And that is funded through the, through the drug companies and through the wonderful work at the University of Utah and the Clinic 1A. Um, that has pioneered this program. Uh, <clears throat> so it's a it's a money issue for some, it's, not well, like a societal stigma, or we've got multiple fronts. Well, it's a it's a combination. So if you are uninsured, there is an easy access to prep here, particularly in in Utah through the University of Utah with their program. If you are insured, um, your, uh, your insurance will cover PrEP actually 100% without a copay at this point because um, wow. just, the, just this year, the drug has been upgraded to a, a class level that uh, allows zero copay um, if you would like to go on PrEP to prevent HIV. It's, it's that proven and that effective and 
Um, the insurance companies want people to be on PrEP if they're sexually active because it is so much less expensive to treat people, to, to, to prevent, prevent HIV than to treat HIV. Is this the for men and women both? Right, but Not the problem is the crack in the middle. Mm. And that's a group of people that are either young and on their parents' insurance policies, which prohibits them from accessing free PrEP because they have insurance, but the stigma of HIV prohibits them from accessing PrEP on their insurance because they don't want their parents or many times don't want mm. their parents to know that they're uh, accessing this uh, preventative medi medication for HIV. So there's a big crack there in, um, in the system. How do, you, uh, how do you get access to a preventative drug for HIV to people that are most uh, likely to be affected by, by HIV and most likely to seroconvert to HIV positive because they're young, sexually active people? Um, and the, my fight right now is how to get these drugs in the hands of these younger people that are stuck in the middle. The other group of people are older people that are in the, uh, in the closet, perhaps. Um, they, they have insurance, but they don't want their family to know that they have a secret life where they're having uh, yeah. MSM sex. Um, and again, these drugs are very, very expensive if you're just going to self-pay. I mean, you could potentially just say, oh, you know, I'm just going to self-pay and no one will see the, the bill. But even the generic versions of these drugs are eight, fourteen, eighteen hundred dollars a month. Um, uh, Speaking of high drug prices, yes. It's so, worth pointing out that it costs Gilead, uh, which is the drug manufacturer of both drugs that are FDA approved for prep, the cost of thirty pills of Truvada, which is now a generic product. So they they make thirty pills of this drug in their factory, they put it in a bottle, sterile bottle, they put the label on and they ship it to our pharmacy. The cost for that entire process for that bottle is $7. And Michael's Holy absolutely crap. right that I have done this time and again, where we write a prescription and we think the insurance is gonna cover it or blah, 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 uh, the patient comes back and says, the pharmacy wants $1,800. And we're okay, able to, so that's to a whole nother show groups, that we just talk about the criminals in the drug industry. But for today, yeah. <laughs> we do have to wrap this up. And you know, I could talk all day about about pharmacy and whatnot. But Michael yeah. Sanders, where and how would you have folks reach out and find more information and get with you? So I've been on the uh, the state of Utah Health Department uh, planning committee for HIV, and we founded um, a website over the past couple of years called HIVandMe.com, and that's a great place. Super uh, to get information and, res and resources. Um, that would be a great first step. Um, if you are um, interested in PrEP and you don't have insurance, I ask people to contact the University of Utah Clinic 1A. Uh, they have the free PrEP program. Um, if you find that you are HIV positive and you need support, the Utah AIDS Foundation is a wonderful support network um, for, you know, for actual support and for the medical support, um, Clinic 1A, again, at the University of Utah, treats patients that both have insurance and don't have insurance. Uh, it's a great facility. And uh, 
those are great resources that we have here in Salt Lake City. Thank you very much. HIVandme.com. Dr. Adam Spivak, thank you for your work. You care for HIV patients at Clinic 1A, along with other staff members at the University of Utah Hospital. You're also a co-founder and a leader of Utah's first and only free HIV prevention clinic. It's amazing work that you're both doing. And it's, I think, worth celebrating on this December 1st World's AIDS Day. Please, please, folks, any questions, reach out to either Michael Sanders, HIV and me, Com. check that out, or Dr. Adam Spivak. Thank you to you both. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Nick Burns with Dr. Adam Spivak and activist Michael Sanders. Check tonight's show notes for a link to HIV and me and all of our other guests this evening who made tonight's show possible. Lots of nonprofits and folks getting up to good trouble in our community. And thank you for tuning in to support grassroots activists, punk rock farmers, DIY creatives, and more. Questions, comments, suggestions? Just send us an email, radioactive at krcl.org. Better yet, leave me a voicemail and tell me all about it. The number is 385-800-1889. And while you're at it, leave a song to go with your suggestion for the show. Tell me why you like it, and we just may be playing it on the show. This has been Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Have a great night.